It's not. Okay. All right, so let's remove LinkedIn. Brand and content. How we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but yeah. they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. Where you have to eliminate the excuses. You gotta make that game plan say, for me to get to that point. Right. Happy Friday, everyone. This is Rob, your host of Shut Up and Grind. So on this Friday, we're going to be talking about overcoming slash dealing with stress and anxiety. So as we all know, the premise of the show is overcoming obstacles and stress and and anxiety are two pretty big obstacles that many people deal with on a daily basis. And so we're going we're gonna to dive deep into that, that conversation. But first, you know we got to talk about the grind gear, right? So if you want to help support the show, we got sweatshirts, we got hoodies, we got long sleeves, we got tank tops, we got masks, all kinds of stuff. And you can see that stuff at shutupandgrindgear.com. Okay, that's shutupandgrindgear.com. And if it's on your heart to make a financial contribution, you can go to shutupandgrind.me slash support. Okay, that's shutupandgrind.me slash support. And I always forget to take the shirt off. Boom, there we go. And so, so now we're back. So as I said, we're going to be talking about overcoming stress and anxiety. And so I found, not nah, I found, so she and I go way, go way back. We met on a panel a few months back. And just as we were talking, you know, we decided to, to link up outside of that panel and we've become pretty close. So she is a clinical psychologist, a licensed clinical psychologist. And she was actually up close and personal with that mass shooting that just happened out in Boulder, Colorado. So we're going to touch on that a little bit. But uh, let's, uh, let's introduce her, right? So as I mentioned, she's a licensed clinical psychologist with over two decades of experience. She specializes in applying the principles of clinical psychology to the overall well-being of individuals, couples, families, and groups. She is also the host of a podcast called Inside America's Minds, where she has extraordinary conversations with ordinary people. And she actually took the time to talk to my daughter as well. So that makes her extra badass. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jody J. DeLuca. You know, Robert, it's such a privilege because what you do is so incredibly important. And yes, you and I go back and you know I have a lot of faith in what you do and how you help people. So yes. it's my privilege to be here on your show. Thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure. Glad mm. glad to have you. Glad to have you. So uh, the first thing I ask every guest, uh, just tell me quickly, who is Dr. Jody? Okay, well... <laughs> Dr. Jody is a licensed clinical psychologist, a doctor of psychology. So basically, I, I have other degrees, but my final degree has been in clinical psychology with a certification in health psychology. So what I have done and what I do is I have a private practice where I do meet with everyday people with everyday issues. And then a large portion of my career was within the hospital setting in emergency rooms, ICU units, burn, burn units, trauma units, neuro units, and so on. So I have been privileged since the onset of my career 
of, of working with people under the most menacious of circumstances and then just with everyday problems. And who hasn't been stressed in over the past in over a past year? You yeah. know, I keep remembering, geez, we're over a year now since this whole pandemic shut down and 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 so on. So yeah. Wow. So you've seen a lot. <laughs> yes. Okay. Absolutely. We all have around the world and in our country yeah. and individually. But yes, the field of behavioral health, also known as mental health and medicine, healthcare, we we have been maxed out to the limit. Um, but we also know that people recognize our efforts and recognize what we do, and we do the best that we can. Absolutely. All right. So is did you want to be in this field when uh, you were growing up? Like, did you see your <laughs> did you see yourself doing this or did you have any other dreams? Uh, you know what? That's a great question, because when I look at the history of me, it's quite remarkable how I ended up as a clinical psychologist. Um, I was the kid that nobody knew what direction I was going in. I was a kid who had many interests. I was a kid, if you said no, I said, I'm there, I'm going for it. <laughs> um, so I, but when I looked back and in retrospect now, the interest in human behavior and diversity around the world was always there. Yeah. I failed my first college psychology class. I failed it. Why? I was a freshman in college. I was real excited, but I was out at the, the horse stables. I used to yeah. be a very avid uh, horseback rider because the class was so boring. I didn't know you had to withdraw. <laughs> and at that time, my parents were working overseas where I had grown up uh, with NATO. So, you know, and I was here in the United States going to school. So it was like, what did you do, Jody? Once again, we trusted you to do the responsible thing. And I was like, well, okay. So having overcome that F took years. And yeah. I always had to work even harder to convince people, no, this is what I want to do. Yeah, the F, the F was a mistake or whatever. But anyhow, so that's a joke. And that's something I do talk about with a lot of up and coming individuals who want to enter the field of psychology, mental health, behavioral health. Yeah. Um, I grew up overseas, like I had said, in Tuscany, Italy. Uh, I have four brothers. Um, I was just always amazed at the behavior of people, including my own. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the opportunities that life presented very early on were quite incredible. Um, when I left home for the first time and went to school in this country as an American born, born uh, it was very different. The cultural shock was incredible. And I realized that I was different and didn't really know how. How so? Well, that was my next question. How so? Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting because I talk to people today, a lot of my patients and clients, and they're like, I'm just different. And I can relate to that because there is a, a, a pocket of population that do not meet the norm. And if you are one of those individuals, good for you, but realize that the walk you walk and the thoughts you have and what you feel are not going to feel the same as a majority. It doesn't mean you're any less of a person, any less intelligent, or any less of having the potential for a successful career. What it does mean is you have to know you. You have to know and come to learn how you best navigate in life. And so I always knew that something was different, but I wasn't sure until years later in my first master's program in mental health, I met a wonderful mentor, Dr. Ronnie Priest, who said to me, stop apologizing for being different. Stop apologizing and, and, and try not to be like everyone else. Be yourself, whatever that is. Yes. And it, it worked out to be some of the best advice I had ever gotten in my life. And decades later, he remains a mentor and somebody who I look up to who had also faced a lot of challenges. So growing up was difficult. Yeah. And especially when I entered uh, college. And then, um, in fact, I remember as a freshman, there was a party on the dorm floor 
And I was the only one not invited. Now, remember, I was an American raised in Europe who had just come over. So the acculturation process was I was different to everybody there. Yes. Um, and that's kind of, of what happened. Uh, but eventually, with time, I overcame that. Uh, but I also became very socially, um, I would say, very particular with who I would hang out with. If it was somebody that was toxic or somebody that wasn't um, comfortable to me, then I knew to take a different route. Um, so, yeah. Know what, know what the, the ironic thing with me? So... I, so you know, you know, I dropped out of college. So like, and and I say almost every single show that I dropped out of college, but I never re really gave the full why. So every every major that I decided I wanted to do went through psychology, and so I was at URI, my first psychology class. There were six hundred and sixty kids in this class. Wow! And the the instructor was an older woman, like old older woman, and it was just so boring. It, yeah, like, it was boring. I'm like, I can't sit through this. Like, I can't yeah. do it. And so yeah. originally, I had wanted to go into TV and uh, radio production. And, my, you know, mm -hmm. my dad, my dad kind of talked me into going into the engineering program, because that's what that's what he did. And, and I wanted no part of the engineering program. And so, so once I decided to move on from that, I said, right, maybe I'll try this psychology. Nope. I'll try this psychology. Nope. Psychology, nope. <laughs> and then I said, you know what? I'm just gonna go go to work till I know what it is I want to do. And then now I'm I'm a certified facilitator in True, True Colors, which is basically uh, personality assessments and working with people's minds and people's mindsets. And so everything I'm doing now is psychology based. The one thing I was trying to avoid. Uh, but you know what's really interesting? A lot of us have been prepped to go to college to pick a major and yeah. then follow it. And then finally in our junior year, we figure out, oh, man, this is not what I thought. My undergraduate degree from Barry University is yep. in music, believe okay. it or not. Uh, but so interesting how that comes full circle, even yep. at this level. But I remember, just like you, the teacher was so boring in my first psychology class ever that I vowed if I ever became a teacher or assistant professor of psychology, which eventually I did, I would, I would give it my best. I was going to present the stories that weren't in the books. I yes. was going to spend the time researching real human stories. And so that I was always different. I couldn't, I couldn't follow the lines of what was expected within certain job environments. As much yeah. as I tried, it didn't work. And it just wasn't me, which meant those milieus, those environments were perhaps not the best for me. And as life will, you know, when you make these plans to go down a certain road and certain things happen, life leads you in, in uh, down a road, which is most of the time better than you ever imagined. Yes. And uh, when I look back and I had a lot of hard times career wise, a lot of 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 things, actually, I would I would do the same, but perhaps would have been very uh, more prepared, if at all possible. Uh, they were heartbreaking. They were heartbreaking, especially when I had finally gotten the Ph.D. and was actually entering the workforce. But now in retrospect, that those losses actually prepared me for the independence and the strength to be able to do and pursue my passion as I see fit. And knowing what the ultimate goal is, is to help people get where they need to do and to educate America, such as on Inside America's Minds. Yes. Always navigating within the confines of the state and the federal guidelines that run the profession of licensed psychologists, which is hard. Yep. That's Very awesome. hard. That's amazing. I just tagged my niece in the, in the live stream. So... Okay. The last couple, well, yes, yesterday we had we had a funeral. Her her baby boy was two years old. He found out, I believe it was last Thursday or Friday, that he had an advanced form of, of cancer. 
and then he then he passed away on Tuesday. I'm so like, sorry. It was it was it was such such an awful thing, and so like as I'm driving down to New York for the funeral, it was just like my heart was just breaking. I I, I had never met the little boy, so like I didn't have a connection with him, but I did with my niece and and my brother. You know, so my brother lost lost his grandbaby, and you know she lost her son, and I was just like you know. They, they're going to be a mess. They're going to be a mess. So we get down there. I see on the brochure that she's reading the obituary. It's like, how, how is she going to get through this? Wow. When I tell you, she was amazing. Like she, she stood up there strong. She read with power. She read with conviction. You know, like, you know, she, she still had some tears coming down her face Absolutely. and my brother's there rub, rubbing her back. But she, she was amazing. Like everybody was like, I don't know how she did that, you know, with her, her son's body just three feet away from her. And she just poured out her soul. And it was unreal. It was Incredible absolutely unreal. It's like, mom. I, wow. I like, I, like, you know, not to sit here and pit, pitch your show there on this, but like, I think it would be great for her to talk to you on your, oh, on your show it would and be- to just go through that process of, you know, she only had four days to prepare. I I would be privileged to interview her, your cousin, and my broadcast your niece. I'm sorry, yeah, her eventually. story on Inside America's Minds because it would validate the story and the experience of so many parents who have lost their child. And where does she get that strength from? How does she move forward? That's those are the human stories that Inside America's Minds are all about. How yes. do you overcome such extraordinary experiences? Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. Like, I, I, I gave her, imagine. I gave her a hug at the end, and I said, obviously, take the time to, to process everything. I said, but mm-hmm. when you're ready, I said, we're going to link up, and we're going to get your story out there. I said, yes. there's, uh, there's other people need to hear what you just shared up there. Yes. It's not the natural order of things for a parent to to lose a child. And there's been so much grief in the past year and, and losing a child. I, there's no words to describe that. So whatever your niece has to offer would be a gift and hopefully it would help her as well, but it would be a gift to the world. Absolutely. Her story has to be told. Yes, I agree hundred percent. Cause that's, that's the, the, the thing. And that's the whole point of this show. As you see, it says above us, your true power lies in your story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so, and like I said, the way that she stood up there and just in the, in the face of all of that, you know, of dealing with all of those emotions and just dealing with everything. But at that moment, she stepped into her power and she didn't even yes. realize that she did, but she stepped into her power. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I try to help people realize here. So when people come to you and I know, I know you have boundaries that you have to stay, stay uh, mm-hmm. within, but when mm-hmm. people come to to, to you, like what types of things are they coming to you with? Well, I think uh, in, in private practice, we're not talking in the hospital or emergency room setting. In the private practice, yeah. what people come with are everyday different challenges. Perhaps they're going through a divorce. Perhaps there's an onset of depression, anxiety, panic, or sometimes they don't know. They can't get motivated. They can't they can't do anything. They can't get out of bed, which is also a sign of depression, but for many different things, but they are everyday people. Uh, I also have the privilege of seeing a lot of veterans who are dealing with post-traumatic stress. I, we are dealing with a lot of trauma survivors, and you had mentioned our Boulder mass shooting this past week, yeah. devastating. So our community, uh, we're, we're trying to deal with that. Um, problems with with children, uh, with the pandemic, there has been such incredible loss all the way around. But human beings are challenged like never before, and the shutdown, and and you know the kids not being able to do with kids and adolescents and young adults are meant to do, which is to socialize. Yeah. All of that. So people come with that. So, and it's so like, with every, sorry. So with everything that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So now, now I know everything is, is different to everyone, but is there something in our brain that is common amongst all of these? 
Well, I think it's the change in the neuro, the brain physiology, and the neurochemical hormones that are released. So the number one thing is being healthy overall, body, mind, spirit, psychologically, emotionally, physically, and physiologically. Yeah. When we worry, when we are stressed, the brain secretes the stress hormones, cortisol being number one. There's also an adrenaline variable that happens. So people, the experience of anxiety and depression will often go hand in hand, but they feel out of balance. There's a sleep difficulties, appetite difficulties. Again, the lack of motivation and initiation, getting started. Uh, anxiety, for example, is so big. Uh, anxiety and depression are, are the two number one issues that I see in private practice. And they usually hit, especially the anxiety, first thing in the morning, last thing at night. As soon as I put my uh, head on the pillow, those thoughts are, you know, they're there. They keep me up or I'll wake up at three in the morning and I can't go back to sleep. So identifying, starting to identify what are the triggers? All right, let's put all that feeling, which is a fight and flight response, part of the sympathetic system, peripheral yeah. part of the central nervous system, but we won't get into that. But the first thing we do is separate feeling versus fact. And we identify the triggers. We are going to take your life. We're going to see what the pros are, what the cons are, and we are going to identify those triggers. We're actually going to think about the factual things that make you feel the way you're doing or think the way you do. Okay. Is it, you know, the workload at, uh, at work is getting too overwhelming or you have a teenager who's starting to use substances or the marriage is starting to break apart because you're both working remotely and have been for over a year. Okay. So you had mentioned, you know, head on the pillow. So now, you know, I work with probably 90% females mm -hmm. and I hear that one a lot that they just can't shut their brains off at night. Is that like a thing? Like well, it's part of, remember why when we ruminate, when we think these thoughts enter our minds and we can't get them out, it's a function, again, of fight and flight, which we are designed to, we're genetically designed going way back, if you look at evolution, is to, to survive. Yeah. And mothers in particular, because we reproduce the species, our job is also to make sure that our children are safe as well. So, um, and, and I, see, I see it in men as well as female. Yeah. In fact, I would say this past year, I've had more men interested in coming into therapy than ever before, which is great. Okay. Um, but what is going on is the first thing in the morning and the last thing at night, we don't have all the thinking with the higher cortical functioning, the frontal lobes of the brain, neocortex. Again, we'll put that aside because that's getting too technical. But we don't have the distractions from the day. Yes. So during the day, we, have, we get up, we have our routines, we go to work, or we take care of the children, or whatever it is we are doing. But as we start to power down at night, just like as we start to power up in the morning, the emotional part of the brain is kicks in and every worry comes to, comes to the forefront, okay? At those moments, we need to stop. We need to stop and say, what am I feeling? What is the fact? And this is where cognitive behavioral therapy comes in. CBT is, is learning that? time. Hmm? Say that what again, is, Robert. Cognitive that? behavioral therapy is a form, is a therapeutic approach that takes what we feel and what we think and how it affects our behavior. Okay. It, that's in the simplest terms. Okay. Yes. But it's having an understanding of why are we feeling the way we do? What's causing it? What power realistically do we have to change? And it's really interesting with the pandemic. People are like, no, I'm okay. I like working. I'm getting used to it. But the issue is that 
as soon as we turn on the news or the TV or we step outside and we see even children with, with masks or we hear about the lives lost with COVID or the insurgents or the injustice and then the mutations of this infectious disease, that fight and flight, we are programmed. We are back in that place because it is a threat to our survival. And you said you were nervous about going live. You just killed that. Well, because I'm in, I'm in overdrive. I don't know. No, I'm not on my game because we, like all my colleagues, we've been dealing with this tragedy yeah. in our community. And, and in Colorado, we've had several mass shootings. But, yes. you know, we are, people come to Colorado to enjoy nature, to hike, to be yeah. outside. Yeah. Colorado's we're, beautiful. It's 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 gorgeous, you know, and but so what, so what were your initial thoughts when when you heard what happened? You know, I go dead <laughs> initially, yeah. and I I couldn't make sense of it because I had been at the private practice with patients all day, and I came home was cooking dinner and turned on the news, which I I do, and I tell people, you know, you really have to limit it, but it's also my responsibility to be aware of what's going on locally as well as nationally and then globally um, because it affects the people we work with. I I stood there, and I remember looking at the screen, Boulder Mass Shooting, and then I was worried about my friends in Boulder – and my former colleagues at Boulder Community Hospital, now known as Boulder Community Health, and uh, the grocery store I had shopped in. It was not my local grocery store, but I I could not believe it. And then immediately, I, I wanted to know about the suspect because they would be bringing him to Boulder Community Health. And that's what happened. Um, and I was like, again, how and when is this going to stop? Because then, as most of my colleagues and I discussed, there's going to be more of this. There's going to be a contagion. And sure enough, this was following the eight people who were shot in Atlanta. And then they had two additional incidents that were caught in time in Georgia and in Oklahoma. I believe they might have been yesterday or the day before. The progression of time with this whole pandemic has just been very uh, gray. So I I was angry, but I had to put that aside because the phone started, the emails came, the texts came. And as a community, what happens next? We have to be there because everybody was affected. You didn't have to be there to be affected. Yeah. And like any shooting. um, Yeah. I mean, we, we felt it here. Yes. In yeah. Rhode Island, just wa- watching it like, oh, my God, like mm-hmm. another one. And then just just watching it unfold. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. It, it is. And it's like we all had such hope that 2021 was going to be the year we all waited for. Mm. We all the whole world. And then what? The insurgents on January 6th, the whole political chaos. And then all the other things, but we are strong as a nation. We are strong as a people, but we're also being tried like never before. Yes. And, um, and, and, you know, there have to be some changes. There have to be some changes and not just any one thing. There has to be a feedback loop of multiple things from the federal level down to the local level that need to be in place. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is the healthcare system and behavioral health. There's not enough of us. So anybody who's interested, please, please, this is a field that could use you that this this nation needs you. Very true. <laughs> Very true. So so get, getting back to dealing with individuals, mm-hmm. how how much how much does just the human will to succeed play a role in people getting better. Oh, incredible. So psychologically, realistically as well, if you set your mind to it, and I'm going to use a term that you discussed with me several times, and I said, Robert, that is incredible. You said learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, but having a goal. 
Yes. Having a goal and, but having somebody in your corner to remind you that you can do this. Now, how you get there, not everybody is fully equipped at the onset of getting to that psychological place to achieve that goal or getting out of the abyss of depression or the threats of anxiety. However, there's many different ways. Therapy is one. The best combination, if the individual needs it, are medications as well as therapy. And a lot of people are not comfortable with medications. That's totally understandable. However, Start with something, somebody like yourself, a licensed therapist, get the help and see how that goes. Take it day by day, understanding what your goal is. And it could be simply to get out of bed. It could be having that courage to apply for another job. And it may be your 101 application. Diligence, perseverance. And that's what I respect about you so much. It's like, you don't accept the excuses. You're like, (laughs) do it, do it. And the first time after you and I were a guest on Sharifa Hardy's show. Yeah. And I said to you, I said, I feel you. You're the guy I need to talk to. And, uh, and I was right because your skill set, your psychological skill set in understanding people in getting people motivated to go was there. And a lot of that is intuitive. A lot of that is your personality. It, it is. But as I said earlier, too, that um, I'm certified in human dynamics. So when I was a restaurant manager, granted, I was you know in my early mm-hmm. 20s, young and feisty. And, you know, you, you try to motivate everyone the same. It's like, damn it, this is what I said. Now get it done. And then, but, but that doesn't work for everyone. No, so, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So w- once I went through that training mm-hmm. and I learned the different personality types, like, okay, so someone that's like this, I have to come at them this way. Yes. This one, they don't care. I can tell them whatever and they'll do yeah. it. Like these, these guys have questions. So I have to make sure that I cover all their questions. Then they'll get it done. And these people need to feel appreciated. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. needs to feel appreciated, but but the people who are like deep feelers, they really need, need that feeling of appreciation. So once I understood that is where I became a better connector. So so like n- now, yeah, I can just do it, but I actually had to learn that skill. Well, I think the combination uh, is powerful. Yes. Y- you learned the skill, but you also had... Uh, the nature of you, the constitution of you is reading people as well and being very much aware of what they're feeling. And, and that's a good point because, and I always tell new clients, new patients right off the bat, we're going to meet initially to see if this is a good fit. My style is different than another clinician style who's different than my own. So we got to see if this is a good fit and it's in your best interest. This is about you, not me. I'm a very straightforward, intense. I also know how to be very gentle, but my mantra is your life is precious. Time is valuable. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to come up with a set of treatment goals and we're going to learn what's the best way to get you navigating life the way you need to be. But that approach is is also customized and unique to the individual. And sometimes it's not a good fit because I am very intense. And yet a lot of people need that. It's like, okay, this was due here. What are you doing? What are you doing? We have to have a goal. And we do a lot of setting goals and deadline dates and timelines. And people need to be validated. People need to know that they're important. They need to know they have value. Every individual has value. And sometimes as therapists, we hear things we don't want to hear, but it's not about us. It's about the individual who comes to us and allows us the privilege of influencing their lives. And when it's not a good fit, there have been times when I've said, I am not in your best interest. It's either not my area of specialization, which the law says it's outside of my scope. I need to refer you to somebody who specializes or it's just a conflict in styles. But 
the license protects the public and it's in the public's best interest. And but finding that, you know, comfort zone takes a lot as well. It's part of our training as therapists as well. And and yeah. diversity, understanding the subculture in which every individual we meet has been raised. If yeah. you don't look at me in the eye when we're talking, it doesn't mean it's a sign of disrespect. It could be a sign of respect yeah. from the culture that you were raised in within the United States or even outside. I see a lot of international people who have relocated here too. And it's that acculturation process. Yeah, absolutely. So you said something earlier <laughs> that I want to touch base on. You said, there it is, that people, people know that you were in an environment that wasn't best for you. Mm -hmm. I feel like a huge source of people's stress and anxiety comes from unmet expectations. So whether okay. it's in their career, whether it's in their relationship, whether it's in just any anything. But I, I feel like that plays a big role because the, the more people that I speak to, they're, they're, un, they're unfulfilled. You know, and, and I think that they're kind of stuck in a bubble and they don't know how to get out of it. So that stress and anxiety consumes them. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that's very true. And a lot of it is within the workplace. It's also within relationships. But you got to remember, let's just take the American culture there, like many cultures, but let's just stick to the United States. There are social norms that expect that are expected that at a certain age, yeah, you do get married, you do have the kids, you do have the house with the fence. But you know, that has long since changed because times have changed, roles have changed between different genders, and yet the same social expectations are there. I find a lot of people um, have a great deal of anxiety and stress just thinking of stepping outside of a job that provides insurance. That's a big one. Health insurance, yeah. especially if there's children or if they, they have somebody in the family that needs the health insurance for a medical or, or mental health issue or for the pay or just the fear of, of the unknown. And as humans, we are creatures of habit by nature. So therefore, the unknown, which would be a job switch, is very threatening and causes anxiety and depression. But it's also understanding and identifying what is it about the environment that we're in? What are the things that don't work for us? What are the things we want to change? And so a very simple step I have people do, very simple, but so powerful, okay, what are the pros and cons in your life right now? Pros and cons. And what are at least five things that you would like to change? Writing it down. And I do have them the old fashioned way, writing it down. <laughs> That's something about the brain and the hand. We won't get yeah. into that, but they're like, yes. And then we form what I refer to as an action plan with a timeline. We're like, okay, so today is March 20, let's see, it's the 26th. So Robert, give me an example of a goal that you have or something you've been stuck on. A goal that I have is being as fit as possible when track meets resume. Okay, I would say to you, Robert, that's great, but I need you to be more specific. Define being fit. What does that mean? That means that... If in the next trend, in the last transplant games in 2018, I won five mm -hmm. gold medals and I broke a world world record. Yes, and so, thank you so I that. want I want to duplicate the five gold medals and I want to break a second world record. Excellent goals. Now between now and June, how are you going to do that? Are you going to run any marathons? Are you going to increase your your weights? How are you going to do that? I've been strength training five days a week. I've been okay. walking. I walked just just today with a 20 pound vest on. I'm minimizing okay. the impact because I'm losing cartilage in my knees just from all the okay. wear and tear. So yeah. I'm not doing obstacle races because, again, minimizing the impact on, on my mm -hmm. knees. And I'm eating health, healthier more, more often. Usually I do about 75, 25. I'm going to do about 90, 10. So I okay. can have, have some, some good stuff in there. 
and then working on cardio on, on the off strength training days. So that that's my actual regimen too. And that's something I just made up. Okay. And so are those realistic goals? Yes. Okay. The first thing about goals is that they have to be realistic and the timeline. So when you have, when you visualize your timeline, do you have it week by week, how you're going to incrementally achieve that goal? Yes. Yes. I have certain things that, that, that I do every day. And remember earlier, I said, I went down to New York for, for the funeral. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I actually drove half halfway. I drove to uh, Connecticut. I spent the night in Connecticut, and then I drove the rest of the way the next morning to break up the drive. But when I woke up yesterday morning, first thing I did was I woke up and I went to the gym. I found a plan of fitness near my hotel okay. and to okay. get my workout in. So, like, it's it's that important. It gets done no matter what's going on in my life. It gets done. Okay. So you've made that commitment. But yes. uh, now here again, what if you have somebody who wants to win a medal at the transplant games, which thank you so much for doing that. Uh, okay. I think of our friend, Lara Govendo, a double yes. lung transplant. And yep. this is just wonderful. She's been on your show and you were kind enough to tell her, hey, <laughs> Jody would love to interview you. But yes. what would you tell the individual who's just getting started in the fitness world? This is kind of like, what do I tell the individual who's in therapy for the first time, but the goal is to find another job with all the responsibilities in between? Yeah, so, so what would you say to them? So the, the way I do it is I, re, I reverse engineer it and just, okay. start, just start with what makes you happy? Like what things are out there that put a smile on, on your face? And then out of those things, are, are there any things that you could teach someone else? You know, it's like, all right, so you can teach someone else. Who would you want want to teach that thing to? And then you pick a, a, a career choice based off of the things that make you happy. Okay. That way you can enter into a field that fulfills you. And then something that you're not going to be dread, dreading Mondays and can't waiting for Fridays. Because with me, I love getting up every day. You know, like Olivia, Olivia said earlier, I was upstairs dancing in the living room. And she goes, I can always tell tell when it's your podcast day because you get all amped up. <laughs> You know, so it's like your daughter you, is incredible. <laughs> but like when when you love what you do, you get excited to do mm-hmm. it. So yeah. it's like like yeah. I tell I tell people don't pick a job based on what it pays. Pick a job based on how it makes you feel. Yeah. Then, then once you step into that, your your worth will find you because then the right opportunity for you is going to open up. So never lose sight of that goal. Now, a lot of the individuals I deal with, it's finding a job, it's getting the rejection letters, uh, but it's also taking the risk to lose health insurance or lesser pay or vacation pay. So there, there's a lot of concrete things in that that yes. we have to take into consideration when we do a timeline and we prepare the individual to leave their current employment when at all possible on their terms. Um, Now, something that is really, really powerful is I have people storyboard or people call it, know it as a vision board or a dream board, which is the visual processing. We do this with dissertation students, um, screen screenwriters, TV show producers, they all do it. Scientists and researchers, we do this where you have a board or you have a piece of poster board and you put up either write or you paste a picture of where you want to be. And that visual is there somewhere where you can see it at least once a day. And all you have to do is look at it Because the visual processing, especially with the subconscious part of our brain that works 24-7, will guide you and help you expedite that goal. Whether it be a relationship, a job, a hypothesis, experiment. Love it. Love yeah, it, it, it works. And, and and actually, I started when I read the book by Francis Crick, The Astonishing Hypothesis, and he he and um, uh, his partner discovered the double helix. Um, I want to say Watson, but um, yeah, that the visual processing where he felt uh, part of consciousness in human beings 
was through visual processing. But anyhow, I don't want to get into that. But yeah, and it works. And usually I have found with my clients and patients that they will achieve the timeline goal two weeks before the goal that we they have established and that's sitting in front of them. So yeah. the visual processing helps a lot in staying positive. Yeah, uh, so uh, I know you said that you don't want to get into that, but we're going to get into that because <laughs> the vi- that? about the visual processing because okay. that's huge. And that's something mm-hmm. that I used to do long before I knew it was a thing. Like back as a teenager in, in the high jump, I, I, I would get up there and I would close my eyes and just see me going over the bar, like, and mm-hmm. just see it. And I say that mm-hmm. to my daughter now, I'm, I'm uh, coaching, coaching uh, this young, young lady in the high jump now. And uh, I just keep, keep telling her, you have to see yourself going over. You have to see yourself going over. Part of my, my training program is all about casting the vision. Like, I think that's huge. It's a very, very huge part of why people stay in a bubble because they don't know what the hell they want. And then if, if you don't know what you want, then you can't see it. If you can't see it, you can't feel it. Then if you can't feel it, you're not going to take action. And and why is that? And this is one of the lessons we learn in therapy when we're when my clients and I are together is stop and think about it. If you have a physical cut, you see it, you see how deep, medicate, stitch it, and there's the physical evidence. But emotion and thoughts are difficult to quantify and make tangible, which make it so much more difficult to deal with because yeah. we can't see that our behavior is, you know, news to everybody, how we're feeling or what we're thinking, including ourselves. But the visualization, just like you say, adds that quantification and tangibility of what it is. And as human beings, because of consciousness, because of higher intellectual functioning than other species, we need that additional layer. I mean, the stereotypical physicists, mathematicians, scientists, you're going to see equations all written on a board somewhere. We do the same with dissertations, with research, because processing it, even if you pass it every day and do nothing, your brain subconsciously, unconsciously is processing just like it does everything you're exposed to during Mm -hmm. the day with all your senses. Now it doesn't retain a hundred percent. It usually keeps what is motivating to the brain. What is important? What is personal? Yes. And that visual, that, that visualization drives the action. So I go back to the transplant games where I said I had broken the world, the world record in a hundred meters. And it's funny because when I donated the kidney, or even before, even b- before we had the actual surgery, I knew of the transplant games because my now late cousin, she had a couple couple um, kidney kidney transplants, and she used to go compete in the game. So that's how I knew it even existed. And, so, and you gave the kidney to your sister. Yes, yes. And so be- before that, I was like, silver lining. I said, I can train to become the fastest man mm-hmm. with one kidney, right? And so this was back in 2010. Like, we didn't even do the surgery till 2011, and I didn't compete until 2016. So 2016, um, I was still worried about my about my knee. So, like, I didn't really set the goal then. But mm-hmm. so for 2018, I looked up the record, and I was like, what is it? All right. It, it was, I think it was like 11.7, I, I want to say, seconds. And so now I let that number drive my training and I ended up doing 11, three, you know? And so like in track and field, four tenths of a second is a big margin. It's a big, big margin. But just the point is knowing exactly what the goal was, I was able to, to get out on that track and put the work in to make it happen. So, and I think motivating people to do the same, especially if life has beaten them up, and yep. to say, okay, you may have had all this negative, negative, you know, invalidation, but if this is what you want, you have to put that aside. And for every negative that enters your mind, we call them also cognitive distortions, distorted thoughts that arise from feelings. But for every negative, you have to think of a positive. I cannot tell you the times. I had professors look at me 
and say, you don't look the part of a scientist, which a clinical psychologist is, and broke my heart. I remember asking one individual, why? Well, you've got big hair, bleached hair, and makeup. And I carried that with me for so long until my father said, are you kidding me? You are really going to let somebody stop a dream that you've had and they don't even know you. They see you, but they don't know you. And I think that was a turning point where I thought, yep, there's another no that I'm going to say, I'm going to go for it. And I am going to be me. And I am going to give myself permission that, yes, I will do this because there are other people that have been treated the same way, but that can achieve it. And a PhD in clinical psychology is a lot. You're not only doing clinical, you're doing research and you're seeing things and learning things and life is never the same after that. And it's a a love-hate relationship. So you have to want it that bad to be able to achieve that level. Like an MD, same thing. D.O. These are the pinnacle of education. And there's a culture that in many cases is very unforgiving. Yeah. And and, and, can open up an incredible world as well. Absolutely. I mean, and and those those principles really go for for any industry. Like if you're an athlete, like there's a difference between making the basketball team, starting for the basketball team and being selected as an all star. Yeah. Like those are three different levels for the same sport. Same thing in business. You know, it's like, yeah, just because you open up a business doesn't mean you're automatically going to be successful. Like, I mean, they, they say like 80% of businesses fail. And a lot of it is because they don't have that vision lined yeah. in. Because I said vision and action go hand in hand. So when most people come into um, where, where I rent space for, for my gym, it's a sports training facility. So as people come come in, I can tell the ones that, that are training for like a D1 scholarship or they're, they're training for mm. – they, they do a lot of hockey players there. And we've had several people get, get drafted for, um, for, for the NHL. But like wow. you can tell by people's work ethics, work ethic, which ones are just trying to make the team and which ones are trying to, to become a star. And, th- yeah. and, that, and that's the same in everyday life. And I think also you have to really be in a frame of mind where you keep the negative out. And you know, I summited Kilimanjaro a few years ago and I was older and I knew that uh, the odds were that I might not get to the top. It's over 19,000, I believe 351 feet. And it's not like I had had two decades of mountain hiking to be able to say, oh, it's going to be a breeze. But the one thing I did know is I was going to do it no matter what. And that was tough. That was tough. Um, And I went to Africa on my own, hooked up with a team, um, which was um, incredible. It was very small, um, Alpine Ascents, but I did it. I did it. And I remember on the third or fourth night in a tent on the mountain, I remember just saying, what have I done? What am I doing? Because it tries you so hard. And I remember crying one night and saying, I got to do this. I can yep. either quit now because not everybody makes it to the summit or I can do the best I can. And I did it. I did it. And to this day, when I look back on that, I don't believe I did it, but I feel I did it. Yep. I feel I did it because I was in the frame of mind and I had been training on my own here in Colorado before I left for um, Africa to meet up with Alpine Ascents. Um, and I remember seeing people along the, the track, uh, that were very sick from the altitude sickness or, or got, you know, got really sick because of, of the, the, uh, food and, and, and other things. But anyhow, not only altitude sickness, but there's a lot of GI stuff, gastrointestinal stuff. Yeah. But the one thing I remember is I will do that. And at the time, that had been a dream of mine since 1978. Wow. So it wasn't, you know, until years later. And I had the original book I bought on Mount Kilimanjaro 
but it took me how many years later? And yet it was still a dream. And it was the first time I actually grieved the unexpected and traumatic loss of my dad, which happened five years earlier. But yeah. as therapists, we compartmentalize things, but sometimes too much. And we all have to address the emotion. We all have to address, address it because the nature of being human is that brain, that emotional brain, that survival brain is going to override your thinking brain. How we do it, when we do it is critical. Yes. Yeah. See, I'm glad you brought up that example. So here in the Northeast, our highest peak is Mount Washington. So numbers wise, it's not that that impressive. I know out there in Colorado, you guys have like 14,000 footers. Mm -hmm. So our, ours is 6288. But the biggest thing is the weather. The weather on Mount Washington, it's, it's voted as some of the worst in the world, especially, really? especially okay. in the winter. Especially in the winter. I think it was a couple couple weeks ago, it was negative 77 with 106 mile an hour winds. Oh, wow. That's worse <laughs> than Kilimanjaro was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the weather's awful. So wow. I, took a, I took a group of my clients and my, and my daughter and her friend, and we went to go do it. So now I had done it a couple years prior. So I knew exactly what to expect, but I let them know, like, it starts off, you know, pretty easy-ish. And then all hell breaks loose about halfway through. It's wow. all rocks. It's like straight up. And you seriously go through all four seasons yes. in that one hike. Like, it, I'm like it's going to rain. It's going to snow. It's going to be windy. It's going to be sunny. It's going to be warm. Like, you're going to experience everything as we go through this. But the thing is, is that people don't quit. People do not quit. So there were some people coming down who actually quit. They said that they, they heard reports that there were thunderstorms on the summit. So they were coming down. And I looked at my crew. I was like, we're hitting that summit. And everyone <laughs> everyone's like, hell yeah, we are. But like, we didn't come because we were probably three quarters of the way up at this point. I was like, <sighs> we did not come this far to turn around now. That if we have to deal with rain, and we're going to deal with it. And everyone's like, game on. And, and we, we made it. We made it all the way up. It was gloomy. It was foggy. It was raining. It was freezing cold. Yeah. It was, you know, but damn it, we did it. <laughs> you know, well, we did I'm it. glad you're all safe. Now, a rule on the mountain here is usually you're off the summit by, you know, especially if the clouds are moving in and, and lightning is a big issue. But yeah. going through the four seasons and going through the weather changes was also an incredible experience on Kilimanjaro. And for you, because remember our brains, long-term memory, the changes in seasons also evoke different memories for us as well. Yes. And so that's another experience as a mountain hiker, especially when you go through a mountain like Washington or Kili or even Everest for that, you know, um, point, because it starts out base camp is not, is not like when you go through the dead zone, although I have not yeah. been there. I read a lot about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just so, the point though, is like, if, if people took that same focus with just their everyday lives and just the goals that they have for themselves professionally, like, you know what, this is what I want to do. And I'm not going to stop till I do it. But with that stuff, we, we let excuses come in. We were dealing with freezing rain, cold snow, thunderstorms, and was like, charge on! <laughs> well, and I think what people also have to realize with certain things, like even getting out of a relationship or finding, finding a, a good fit for a relationship, it's not going to happen like this. And we live in a country with instant gratification, which suddenly changed a year ago with the shutdown and the pandemic, suddenly uh, the free country that we were, we didn't have that luxury and privilege anymore. Nope. But it's also understanding that if you have a goal, no matter how big or how small, that increments and setting a timeline with achieving certain tasks a little at a time will get you there. Yes. Exactly. And too, just too many times we let the first obstacle derail the whole thing. Yeah. You know, like I had, I had yeah. a, I had a woman come to me. She, she had lost 18 pounds in the first month, 18 pounds. And she's like, 
so Rob, like, what else can I do? Like, what do you mean? You know, like, what else can I do to, you know, to speed up the weight loss? Like, you lost 18 pounds in 30 days. <laughs> like, you kidding me? It's like people would kill for that. Like, and, and you're doing it. I'm like, the process is working. She's she, she like, I just feel like I, I've been at it for so long. We were on week five. Yeah. And, you know, and you have go-getters <laughs> like that. Like, I have some patients that... Uh, I know are going to achieve that balance. We'll get the anxiety, depression under control. They're actually able to, you know, navigate now. They've got an action plan. Uh, and, and I always tell them with cognitive behavioral therapy is it's not to keep you in therapy the rest of your life. We've got to get you with a skill set coping strategies and action plan and get you out there knowing that therapy is always available for maintenance. And I'll have some that have just expedited the process, again, positive thinking. And I have to say to them, look, we've achieved these goals. At this point, we need to, you know, lessen the sessions, not weekly now, maybe twice a month. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you have achieved. We have achieved what we set out for. So now we either change the goals or it's a maintenance kind of thing. And everybody is unique in, in, in the timeline of it because some people have a lot more challenges or they're so, like I said before, life has beaten them up, but it's helping them, which you do, and I like to think I do, is to get that little bit of light and say, okay, we got that opening now. Now we have to widen it and we have to get there with realistic expectations. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we, we bring this down, so I had surgery on my elbow last okay. July, I want to say. And so I got the date, I feel like early June. So I had several weeks, several weeks to plan. So now I'm right-handed. It was on my right elbow. So okay. I started doing everything with my left hand. I started throwing the football. I started shooting basketball, doing everything I could with my left hand. So by the time I had the surgery, I was good to go. I was able to write left to write left handed. Wow. My, my my kids and I, we'd be out playing playing football. I'm throwing left handed. I'm throwing like they're running routes. I post. All right, boom. You know, and, and I just I, I plan. Like I always tell people, stop worrying about what you can't do and maximize what you can. That's what what it is. Because too many times we look at the things that we can't do and we let that defeat us. Yes. For every negative, you gotta have a positive thought. You got to have that positive thought because that actual changes, that actually changes the neurochemicals that are released into the body. Yes. Stress versus the good neurochemicals. Give us some more of that serotonin, you know, the feel good. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we got to bring this down. So what, what would it be? Is so, so a couple, couple people just signed on now. So what's mm-hmm. something that you could, that, what's your best practice for managing stress? The best process, uh, sorry, the best practice would be number one is to identify the items, the triggers, the elements, the triggers is the term we commonly use that are causing the stress and having a plan of action that's realistic of how you can reduce it. Love it. Well said. Dr. Jody, thank you very much for joining. Robert, it's my privilege and thank you for having me. And to everybody out there, keep going. Never, never give up. There's always a way and always give yourself options. Take good care. Uh, what's what's the, the link for your for your podcast? Uh, well, well, let's see. With the Spotify, I don't have that in front of me. Inside America's Minds. Okay. Yeah, right. I don't have it in me and unfortunately i i don't have it memorized okay all right so so uh you're on spotify i'm assuming apple podcasts yes and yeah. also on youtube inside america's minds google inside america's minds and it will come up you know i'm technologically challenged so why are you asking me these questions why are you asking me these questions Trying to promote you <laughs> i appreciate it. inside america's minds dr jody all right perfect so again right. thank you very much don't don't sign off yet okay all right and so that was dr jody that was a great episode very, very informational. You know, we, we, we throw in a little bit of comedy in there too. But uh, 
if, if you're just now tuning in, I say this every show, go back to the beginning, spend the hour, and watch it all the way through. Said so if you can watch nonsense on TV for, for an hour, take an hour and focus on you. If you're dealing with stress, feeling overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, take the time and focus on you because that's why we do this. It's all for you. So that's all I have for you. This was episode number 67 with Dr. Jody. Robert, take the banner off. There we go. <laughs> now cue the outro. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at robert underscore b underscore foster on Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.